Hello and welcome to The Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about movies with creatives and also hear their journeys. I'm your host, Andy Majorano, and this is episode 30, The King of Producing. Joining me today is my dear friend and also a film producer, Richard Wallace King. We're hot off episode 29, Heroes in a Half Shell, where Rich and I talk about the 1990 classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And now he's back to discuss his journey and foray into film producing. Welcome, Rich. Thanks for having me. Hello. Rich, you and I have known each other for going on, jeez, 20 years? It's been 20 years, yeah. I think um, 20 years this year, right? Or maybe maybe 19 years this year? Yes. I want to say it was 2004. It was it was no. fall. Yeah. 2004. That sounds right. Yeah. So we're in, we're in 03. I mean, we're in 03. We're in 23 now <laughs> at 20 years. Yeah. So yeah, you auditioned for my short film, Hot Wings, which was shot on 16 millimeter back at University of Miami. We both went to the University of Miami for undergrad. And that the story begins there and it's been, uh, and we're still living it actively. That's right. To this moment. It's the never ending story. It's the never ending story. <laughs> Let me hear your rendition of the song. Never ending story. La 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 la. I don't, I don't know what the words are. La, da, 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 da. Yeah, just rewatch that. One. One. I don't know the words. <laughs> That's really good. You got a great, you got a great voice. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. So you correct me if I'm wrong, but you you had taken a little break. You're you're a year or two older than me, and then you took a break, took some time off to be in a band, which is now back, late for life. That's correct. And then you auditioned for my short film, and I casted you, and you nailed this. Uh, it was a hot wing eating contest called Hot Wings, and I had these two announcers. I had the color announcer, and then I had the straight announcer, and you played the straight announcer. And you played it so straight that it was like the color announcer. It was like <laughs> you went completely around to the other side. And anyway, you cracked me up. I still watch that movie sometimes. I'm very proud of it. It's probably the best. Actually, I actually have a friend of mine in uh, Delaware. Shout out, James Serrato. Grew up together, went to high school together. And he literally, no matter what I do since in the last 20 years, he's like, yeah, it was good, but it was, it was no hot wings. You know, that's, that's the best thing you ever did. <laughs> uh, and it culminates with Eric Lombard, our lead in the, in the short, uh, finally doing it. And he kind of has a history of quitting and giving up. And his dad's in the audience. He's like, stick it out, stick it out. And he has to eat all these hot wings. And he's this little wiry kid. And for whatever reason, he has a superpower where he can eat hot wings, add in fun at him. And then when he does, he explodes. And it's like this pyrrhic victory of of winning, but, but <laughs> dying. Spoiler alert. Uh, spoiler alert, yeah. And uh, I remember we had a shot of uh, Brian Strata did the blood effects on it. Friend of the show and friend of mine, friend of yours. Amazing editor. He ended up doing the blood effects. He was like the blood technician on everything. Still is. Mm-hmm. And his, you know, any opportunity to coat coat people in fake blood is is his dream come true. And he went to the butcher shop and got organs. Oh, jeez! And I remember there was a shot of like a liver landing on your lap or something. You were like, oh, oh or on the desk. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, man, tell us about. I could I could probably tell your whole story. You could probably just leave if you want. <laughs> I could I could tell beat for beat your whole journey because you and I have been roommates together now multiple times in in different cities, Miami. Yeah. Three different time zones. Three different time zones. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but anyway, um, what I'm really interested in with you is your journey as a producer. You're now an independent film producer with multiple credits to your name. I'm such a fan of what you've been doing. 
uh, your collaborations with Andy Mitten. You did a movie called The Harbinger, which opened at the end of last year. Yep, December 22. Yeah. And anyway, I still want to grill you on the numbers of how, how it's going. Sure. Um, I'm such a fan of these movies. They're scary. They're amazing. They're smart. Everyone go check them out. The Harbinger. And then Witch in the Window, which actually we did a Sons of Carpenter episode on, which I believe is still on the, the SoundCloud. But that was actually my first foray into doing movie breakdown podcasts. And it was, it was a lot of us. We ended up having to kind of disband because there was, I think, six of us. And it was just, remember that sketch, Too Many Cooks? Yeah. It was like that. Six hosts, one mic. Six, yeah, we were literally all clawing for one mic <laughs> and elbowing each other in the face. And, but anyway, yeah, uh, that one's really smart and genius. And then the one you did before that was called um, uh, We Go On. Well, anyway, walk us through producing. I remember we did a short together in, call it 2008, 2009, uh, called Voiced Over, about a a voice actor. And I was like, I'm going to be the director. And of course, we cast ourselves in it. And you were actually on a mic yourself, speaking of. You were in the recording studio recording (laughs) Fernando (laughs) Gonzalez, who who was this voiceover actor who starts to hear a voice threatening the life of him and his child and... It's kind of a horror comedy. And I remember you were like, I'm going to produce it. Rick's Rick Galley, another shout out. He's been on the show as, as well, did the Jurassic Park episode. The three of us were living together. And you were you were producing. And then it seemed like soon after that, you decided you want to enroll at um, the Film Institute, AFI, American Film Institute. And you were also in the band AFI, right? Yeah. yeah. Fire Inside. A Fire Inside. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, walk us through when kind of the original... What was the moment where you said, I want to be a producer, I want to do that? Yeah, I think, um, so do an undergrad, they don't really tell you a whole lot about what actually goes into the the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts of making a film. They're like, here's a camera, here's the film, here's a yeah. microphone, you need cast members, and a story helps. <laughs> Go out and make these shorts, and so that was sort of like, you know, it, it, it on the one hand it helps, you know, uh, there's no there's no stifling of creativity, but it also like it doesn't really, like, oh, do you know if you want to shoot in a road, like you need to shut it down so that like you don't no one gets run over by a car, yeah, no one does, you know, did you know that you need like right. to feed people um, if you're going to be there for a certain yeah. number of hours, or like go to the bathroom, exactly, all these things that like you you don't think about. Um, until you start to actually get into the process of making these um, productions, um, and it was something, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really learn that until you and I were working as below the line crew members in New Mexico. You know, we were picking up trash on uh, pretend Yuma, and we're, yeah, well, you know, gigs. So yeah, I think our first, our first job as location PAs, um, literally like the the bottom. The bottom-most job in one of the least respected <laughs> departments. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a humble beginning. It, ab- absolutely, um, but you know, it, it's it was. It got us on set. It got us on set, and it really like it starts to open your eyes as to like what it really means to like put a movie together, put right. a show together. You're like, okay, great. You need all of these things. You're going to shoot out in the middle of the desert. Great. You you need a, you need a tent for people to eat under. You need tables and chairs. You got to hire a caterer to bring in all the food. You need bathrooms. You need all this stuff. You need vans to to you know shuttle people from parking onto the set and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, fans, yeah. So I think it was it was sort of part of that. Um, kind of opened my eyes that that was even what the job was because again like it's not really 
there's a lot of things that encompass the title producer. And that's one of them is like the on, on site nuts and bolts. How do you get from point A to point B as safely as possible, bringing as many, you know, people as you, as you can. Um, and so it was just sort of doing that process, that trial by fire. I was like, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like this. I kind of like trying to, um, figure out how to fit these square pegs into these round a little bit. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. Start again on that part. It was just that whole, that whole process of, of just like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Um, was was Which you're was, very good at, by the way. Yeah, oh, thank you. I've seen you do it. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know sometimes to to more better success than others, but um, yeah, I just you know I had a grandfather that was a um, that was an engineer, and my mom was always just like, well, why don't you be an engineer? You're very good at math, and I kind yeah. of look at producing that that side of producing the sort of on site nuts and bolts is like really like the engineer of the production. Like you are putting everything together, like finding all of the pieces How to make it happen. exactly. Find the pieces and then put them together in a way, or or find people that can put them together for you if you can't do it. Um, and so th- that was sort of what it was. And I just, we were making a bunch of shorts in New Mexico and Albuquerque. Right. And it just, it was kind of dawned on me. It was like, we really need somebody to like do this producing thing. And so I was like, well, you know, yeah. like you're, you're good at, you, Andy, are good at writing and directing and, and Rick Galley, he's good at shooting and, and editing and stuff. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just do the, I'll do the producing thing. I, I think I can handle it. I trust myself to, to do it and get it yeah. done and, and have it. And you're definitely the most level-headed rational right. yeah. I, of the bunch. I also thought I was like, I'm the only one of the three of us I actually trust to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, I mean, that's really kind of where I got into it in the first place. And then, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it seemed like it was a viable path for me. Um, and then, yeah, I found out that there was American Film Institute had a um, – a, a, an MFA program, a grad school program, and they specifically focused on producing. Right. I was like, all right, well, that's yeah. I remember all of a sudden you were really it. looking at it, and um, I think I looked over the because I was an English major, so you know, I know where the periods and the commas go and all that. And I think you had to look <laughs> over the you look over the the, the letter. The, oh yeah, the entrance letter, the, the narrative statement, the narrative statement. That's what they called it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just to give a little timeline, we we graduated together because you took a year off to be in a band, and then right we ended, up, we ended up graduating together in 2006, which was man already 17 years ago. That's yeah, it's unbelievable. Insane. That's crazy. We could have gone, but done our undergrad four more times in a row in that amount of time, plus a year. That's right, <laughs> and taking a year off, and taking a year off to go to be in a band, go be in late for life again. Um, and which you can never be not on time when you're in late for life. Hey, the name. But yeah, so we yeah we got out there, started working on like you said, three ten to Yuma. We you and I got to work on the then new Coen Brothers movie. Um, no country, for no old country men. for old men. I was like, what was that called? <laughs> yeah. um, and then yeah, we, we did a lot of westerns, which was you know a lot of which is why you come to New Mexico to shoot stuff. I mean, they did made a lot of other stuff there too, but. We cut our teeth in the in the dirt, in the sand, in the dust, and through ten Yuma, it was cold. Lots of snow, shoveling. Lots and... of snow. I have a memory of pouring, as a locations PA, pouring sand on the meal tent in front of the door of the meal tent, and it was pitch black when we got there at 5 a.m. or whatever, and just the wind taking it as I was pouring it, and I was like, what am I doing with my life right now? This, this is going to go somewhere. I know. I know it. I know it. But yeah, so, and then we, yeah, we made a lot of shorts and we were really into it and we did it for fun and 
we kind of all took different ones under our wing and um it was a lot of fun took turns acting and we'd write and um entertainment question mm. mark was our production company yeah um, um and then it was kind of like uh, a double entendre with um because we all went to the university of miami me you and rick and uh it was um dot 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 entertainment question mark so it was like we're making stuff we think it's entertaining <laughs> you, know, you be the judge so it was creative creative title and yeah and then uh and then you when was it you ended up going to afi yeah so i would have moved from yeah summer of of 2010 like i was i think i came out in july uh to look for an apartment found an apartment and then like, officially moved in um in august so yeah yeah like, about this time 13 years ago no i remember you went to la and then i maybe a year later i ended up coming because i came at like the end of 2011 mm -hmm. christmas or thanksgiving and then the first thing I did when I got here was work on your AFI thesis movie. Right. California, 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 Ninja. California Ninja, <laughs> which is not anything to do with Ninja Turtles, <laughs> which we'll segue into that talk later. No, there was a, a, a Lithuanian character and the, uh, the, the Lithuanian spelling of California is with a K and a J. Right. California Ninja. Yeah. But I mean, they say California, but. Yeah. But it was a real deal production. And I mean, it was AFI, so it was it was a big deal. You guys had about what fifty grand budget, yeah, something like that. It was like, like a two day shoot. It was six days. Oh god. Yeah, yeah. It was, was that long? It was it was a bit longer. I I um, yeah, we had a we got a grant from Photochem, so we shot on thirty five, um, right. which uh, the cinematographer Concy Althaus, also of New Mexico fame. Oh yeah, Concy. Um, yeah, she uh, was you know floored about that. So um, so cool. Yeah, it was, it was pretty. It was pretty exciting. It's like a um, freaking movie. It was like a real Sorry, yeah. it was six days. Yeah. yeah, we had a we had we had two days at the the truck stop because he's mm -hmm. a truck driver, mm -hmm. or he starts driving trucks with the mob because he wants to like make it. Yeah, he's struggling. He's an immigrant comes to the U.S. Lithuanian, mm -hmm. and the director uh, Thomas Thomas Thomas. Yeah. yeah. Another shout out. I haven't seen him in a while. You said you saw him a couple years ago. Um, he came to LA uh, maybe a year or so ago. I saw him when he's here. Thomas Vengris. Really um, yeah, he's a director also. Um, I you know, he's got a movie that just came out. I don't know where it's being released. Um, but look him up. Uh, v e n g r i s is his last name. Thomas yeah. Vengris. Yeah, and I remember he had an internship with. Um, well, it's based on his name. Help me out here. A tree of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh no! Now you've passed it on to me. Oh man. Yeah. It's okay. We have a we have a computer here. Um, we know it. Thin red line. Right. King of King of was it King of Cups? Prince of Cups? Uh, is that a movie or is that his nickname? No, that's one of the movies he made. <laughs> uh, Badlands. Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. We'll, we'll cut that part out where we didn't know. That's fine. No, I think it's a, I think it's good to be. It it grounds me. Yeah, be humble. I mean, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of names. Yeah, I, I mean, he has two of them. Like, yeah, he's got two. Jeez. Yeah, and they're not the same letter, so it's it's not. Yeah. E. A lot of different letters in that name. It's a tough one. It's a lot. Your name, however, <laughs> is simple. Although there's another rich king in in Hollywood that's, that's uh, true. A sound guy, right? How many Oscars do you have? So yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a Richard King who is a sound designer. Works with uh, Chris Nolan. Right. I think he has at least two. Did he do Oppenheimer? Oh, uh, I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I had a buddy of mine who's in late for life was just like sent me. He's like, I watched Oppenheimer and um, 
honest question. Like, what is going on with the sound? So I sent him a link to a video of like, you know, why movies are mixed the way they are and why we're forced to watch all movies with subtitles on now at home. Um, And then I also sent him a link to Richard King, who did the sound design for it. He's like, so it was your fault. (laughs) Yes, it was my fault. Uh, Yeah, Richard King's the sound designer. Um, There's another one who does extras casting. Oh, yeah, Richard King casting, yeah. There's a a stunt guy. Uh, There's another. It's a great name. It's it's easy. I've often been jealous of your your last names. I mean, then, then, yeah, then other people have the same name. There's not that many Andrew Majoranos out there. but I mean, there are, if you look in the phone book. But. Yeah. Which which phone book? Uh, the long last name, <laughs> phone book, which comes every other year, right? Instead of every year. I remember getting a phone book in the mail. I do. Dropped off. I do. That's uh, crazy. I don't think I've gotten a phone book in at least a decade. Yeah, it's probably been a decade. A lot of trees. Just because we need to look up numbers. But yeah, so yeah, so that was the first thing I did when I came out here, and um, yeah, we worked with. Um, a professional sound guy who ended up, you know, was working with like Alexander Payne and yeah, it was like a lot of, a lot of heavy hitters on that. Anyway, it was a great experience. I met some folks and I remember then we, I moved in with you, uh, with three other, with you and two other AFI alums and it was really close to AFI. So we were just, well, like, oh, they're having a, they're having a screening or they're having a mixer or whatever. I went over there and there's still people I think that think that I went to AFI, which is great. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, I worked on a lot of the shorts and met a lot of the folks. So ended up, which is, uh, you know, probably why you wanted to do it. But it seemed like a really good program and really good for you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I think it was it was great for me. The, the the choice was right and the timing was worked out. Like the, the, the faculty and staff that were there when I went through, a lot of them aren't there anymore. Um, they moved on. They quit. They're, some of them have passed on. But um, yeah. so I don't know what the program is like right yeah, now. Uh, but when I went through, it was pretty great. It was very grueling, you know, and there's a, a um, you know, from now – on probably until forever there's like a, a, a camaraderie that's built with other people who went through that program you know yeah, sort of like absolutely. okay I, I i know i know what it is i know how far you can be taken you know over the over the brink and just and still be able to put something together and pull off something amazing because of what we went through at that program yeah, right you pushed yourself yeah absolutely yeah because you guys weren't just doing your own individual movies you were doing right. classes and then you were also working on everybody else's movie what was the you had to do so many films like yeah so it to be like a key grip on something or it didn't didn't have to be um i i did i think i did as a producer you don't normally do that stuff but okay. because my background was in lighting uh, a lot of the cinematographers want, wanted me to work on their stuff so a couple of times i did um that position but yeah it's the the first year was called um cycle films and as an individual you make three um and then there's the first cycle there's 28 films being made because there's 28 directors Mm. second cycle same thing third cycle same thing so as a class you know you're making whatever 28 times three is was that uh 124 or something like that i I, not quite it sounds right just under 120 maybe yeah it's a lot uh it's it's a lot yeah um, and that's just the cycle films. There are also, also, uh, 
the cinematography projects, they do a 16 millimeter um, MOS. They do a 35 millimeter MOS. Um, so it's it's just a lot of production. It's very production heavy. Um, and I really look at like that voiceover that you were talking about earlier. Like that was basically I look at as my first cycle film because it was something that we put together and we right. um, we hired a guy to compose music and mm-hmm. like we had the rights for everything. And you know, it, yeah, it wasn't. We made the we made the DVD cases. We did absolutely. I yeah, remember being in. Uh... What was it Michaels or something with uh, Rick Galley? Mm, mm, probably. You know, he knew how to make the, the sleeves and everything. And then we bought the black, just the cases, the cases for the DVDs. Yeah. And then, you know, slipped our sleeve in that we made. And yeah, I remember, I think you, didn't you put there a copy of that movie in California, California Ninja? Uh, it was on the I like may have. bookshelf, I think. I, I, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I look over your shoulder. I see there's a copy of a, a, a movie that was a, a prop in Voiced over, die slowly. Oh yeah, yeah, die slowly. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Rick, Rick did that with Matteo and uh, Michael Choco. Yeah, because like, so there's a trailer inside of the short. There's a trailer right. that the guy was doing the voiceover for because he is a voiceover, He's artist. A voiceover artist. Yeah. So it's like it was very meta. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and it's actually really really funny. Go to go to YouTube and watch Die Slowly. Die Slowly trailer. Hey Slim, do me a favor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, slowly. Slim Delgado. <laughs> I wish the I wish the film was longer so his victims wouldn't die so fast. <laughs> and Fernando's got a great voice. And um, yeah, I, I basically was like, kind of wrote the part for him. I was like, man, this guy. I remember being an extra with him on a movie called The Eye, which was like, oh, the like Eye. Jessica Alba. Remember that? Yeah. I do. And I'm just hanging out at some, where the hell were we? Some like, some border crossing scene we ended up doing at a racetrack because it was like a, road, okay. like a dirt road. And they could set up the the cars there. Anyway, there was just all of us hanging out, and this guy Fernando and Mateo knew him, and he's like, "There's my buddy Fernando," and he just walked up to the guy. And he's like, "Hi, I'm Fernando," you know. And he literally, it's like he's on the radio always <laughs> when he talks. So I was just like, "Oh my god, I want to do." And then I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to be the bad guy that's voicing over him, yeah, threatening him with the voiceover. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Still, still, made me think. I'll make a feature out of it. Good time. Yeah, I'm gonna it, hit you up. It definitely could be. I, I don't see why not. I mean, you just gotta you gotta build it out a little bit. But yeah, it's it, it totally would work. It's got Absolutely. the the main struggle is already there. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Voiceover artist hears a voice. I started writing a, a series called Vocal Power about these guys that work in recording studios, and uh, I was thinking about bringing Lewis Slaterman back as the nice the bad guy. He's the he's, <laughs> the, he's the evil voiceover artist. He's a little raspier and nasally. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, right i that remember that line yeah <laughs> walk us through your collaboration with annie mitten who's sure. been on the show and he, we did the creep show episode and then smitten with mitten anyway um just such a fan of your guys's three movies that you've done together and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and i'm such a fan of harbinger everyone check out harbinger um which in the window and we go on are on shutter right that's correct okay but then you did a different deal with xyz yeah, XYZ Films um, distributed The Harbinger, and it's on Tubi oh, um, for – I mean, it's on there now. It'll be on there, I think, until spring of uh, 25, I think. Okay. Um, but there's another Harbinger that's on there too, so be careful. Don't – you don't want right. to watch the one with the red – the red poster is a different um, – different. We, we, we came to – it came to be known as Other Binger. Um, yeah. So, but uh, it's 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 a fine movie. You know, you can watch. I've, I've seen it. You can watch that. Uh, but that's not the one that I worked on. Uh, the one I worked on is a blue poster with like a a 
uh, elongated plague doctor mask, you know, with a, a cold, right. snowy, like snowy plague, scene. Plague doctor, yeah, long mask. And you'll see Richard King's name on it. Yes, that's the the correct harbinger that you want to watch. That's right. I mean, like I said, we you know watch the other one. I haven't seen the other one. Yeah, that's kind of annoying. I remember actually you hired me to work last year on a we did COVID COVID department, which yes. is actually kind of fun. Probably won't seek out. I mean, I, I don't know if sure the department will be around much longer. Fortunately, we're winning the war against COVID. Yeah, I think so. It seemed like it. Although our dear friend Brett Swanson just got it. Although he oh, made it this far without getting it. Have you gotten it? I've never tested positive, but I, I don't know. I can't. Yeah. It's one of those things. I don't I don't know that I've ever had it. I've never felt. I've never lost my yeah. sense of taste Some or smell. Or just kind of like immune to it. I honestly... I, I said this human. exactly. I think that's it's You're an X Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I said it from the beginning. I feel like there's probably some kind of a genetic thing, and there's certain right. people. Maybe it's a blood type thing. You know, if it's other genetic coding, I don't, I don't know that they're just, they're just not. Yeah. They're they're not susceptible to it, you know. Just like some people get Alzheimer's, some How people much don't. Bar trivia, you do. It's a lot of bar trivia that goes into it. I do. I you love done COVID, so. I love bar trivia. I know you do. Um, we used to do it in New Mexico together, geeks. You drink. Yeah. Oh yeah, Fernando. Fernando was. was yeah, the- <laughs> yeah. Fernando, another shout out. I miss that guy. He yeah, moved out here for like a, a second, and then he he moved back. But anyway, he's still back in New Mexico. He's doing really well. Well, anyway, starting to cut you off. Because um, I remember you you and I were roommates. I think when you first got the gig with Andy. And Jesse? Uh, yeah, I think so. So, I mean, the first time that I worked with them was on a short um, that was a uh, – um, it was contracted or uh, it, was, it was contracted from the Chiller Network, the now defunct Chiller Network. Chiller, right. Yeah. Um, they hired them to do sort of like um, what I think we all imagined would be some kind of interstitial programming. So like if you have a movie and then there's still like 10 minutes left before the top of the hour, like, oh, we'll just throw a short on. So they, I think they just were, were um, hiring people to go make shorts like that. It was called Listen My Children, and it was a found footage uh, movie about two guys who work in a post facility who are tracking down this supposed urban legend about this song that when you hear it makes you kill yourself. Um, and I got brought on. It's it's a it's a it's a, a a long entangled story. But basically, it was a, an AFI person was working as a producer on it, and they needed needed an extra hand. And so I came on and worked with them. And the I feel like the the memory that sticks out in my mind um, is we were trying to shatter a big uh, plexiglass. Like a giant like plexiglass window. I'm I'm like, you know, ten feet across by like seven feet high kind of thing. It's was right. You, know, you had the guy who was recording the experiment with um sound instruments on one side of the glass, and then you had the actual experiment happening on the other side of the glass, so that the guy who's recording it doesn't hear the sound and kill himself. Right. That was the whole that was the idea behind it. But there's a point where it's supposed to shatter and they they That's used true. Yeah, ex- exactly. The the glass shatters, and then it gets through, and then everybody in this in the video it kills himself. Um, so, spo- spoiler alert! But um, is there a way to see that one anywhere? Uh, it's it's. I mean, it's on YouTube or anything? It's, I don't know that it's on YouTube. Um, the so the the. The feature, it got turned into an anthology series right. um, called Chilling Visions, Five Senses of Fear. And you guys were the auditory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, like, we completed this short. Um, oh, so, sorry. To, to finish the story about we were trying to break this plexiglass, and they had, like, a diamond-tipped um, 
screwdriver. They had like another hammer. And I was like, oh, I've got this like rescue hammer in my car that my mom gave me. It's got like a blade on it so you can like saw off a seatbelt. And then it has like a – like I a, It has like a, like a, like a ball like – like some kind of like a tempered point. And it's a hammer. It's designed to like break car windows. So if you like go off into a lake. You, um, and so I was like, I've got this thing. It might work. And they're like, yeah, we'll we'll give it a shot. And the first first try, the entire thing just blows up. So I was like, all right, great. I'm glad glad we got that. Thanks, mom. Yeah, there <laughs> um, you go. Never know when a, what you're gonna need. But uh, yeah, so chilling visions, five senses of fear. We we the the portion that we finished sent off to Shutter, and they said we love this. Chiller. Uh, sorry, Chiller. Yes, thank yes, you, Chiller. Right. So sent it off to Chiller, and they said we love this, and then they contracted for other filmmakers to make a touch to make a, a a taste to make a sight and to make a um feel yeah no mm. touch touch oh smell that's smell. <laughs> so yeah. so they they made these other ones and then they they made it into a feature film um so that's what it was called i don't know where you could find it but it's probably out there um but chiller doesn't exist anymore so i don't know yeah. You know, I don't know where those rights you where those rights lie. The, the DVD for for Harbinger or something. We should. That'd be cool. It's too it's too late for that. That's there's already a DVD. Oh yes. Vinegar right. Vinegar Syndrome has uh, released well, a, the a DVD. Yeah, we'll do perspective for sure. Commentary and documentaries. I would love to do it. it's it's a it's a great it's a great little short. So I would love to I would love for it that. It is, too. and I remember you telling me about it. and I thought that's not a scary concept, really. Yeah. And then like a song that makes you want to kill yourself, but. It was done so well, and I, I remember it, it scared me, and it, I was unnerved by it. And yeah, you get to see the people kind of reacting, like you said, they're in the that little lab with the screen, right. and you got the piano. And- yeah, oh, that was you know that was like part period piece because the experiment takes place in the seventies, oh, and yeah, then you're like right, present yeah. day, like them piecing the the footage together. So it's like a found footage doc. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it was it was very interesting. I um, thought about um, what was it, a uh, House on Haunted Hill, where the, oh sure the remake ninety nine one whether. Showing like the, the the guys breaking out in the beginning, right? Reminded me of that, yeah. And then later you get to see the the creepy old footage in the in the containment right. chamber thing. Yeah, 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 it's horrifying. Yeah, um, it was really well put together, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite horrifying. And then you invited me uh, to do. You were doing some. Uh, you were doing a screening, and you wanted to get notes. Oh yeah, on uh, we go on. So yeah, we go on. That basically, um, I met those guys on that, and then they put together. Uh, they had a script they were co-directing called We Go On. Um, they approached me just about like coming on as a producer, and I just I said yes. I was like, this will be great. Like I had yeah. a good time working with with you on the last one, so this will right. be fun. Um, and then yeah, shot that around LA. That was another low budget thing. You know, we got we got lucky with some some uh, high level cast members on that. Um, but uh, you know, that's also on Shutter, and yeah. yeah. We, we did a screening at AFI where we just like, okay, pass out um, some questionnaires. We'll screen the movie. You know, what works, what doesn't work. You know, what do you like, right, what do you, you not like. AFI, you rented a room or they give it to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, I don't I don't know if we rented it. They may, may have given it to us. Yeah, they probably gave it to you. Um, and it was Jesse that was there. Jesse was there, yeah. Because I think Andy. Was co-directed. Yeah, Jesse uh, Jesse Holland was a co-director um, with Andy Mitten, and I think Andy may have moved out of LA at that point. I don't really yeah, I know. Think he was already possible he, he left shortly after um production completed okay. um they, they moved back to uh the east coast where he and his his wife are uh laura heisler are, are both from right um the east coast so yeah did the did the screening got some notes and like uh, changed a little bit here and there and then kind of went back into the editing and you know that one came out yeah and i remember there was still some shots that were missing and stuff like that but mm-hmm. i remember having my pen in my hand and 
kind of just was so swept away into the movie and by the end by the end of it i was like man i haven't been writing anything i feel like i'm not there was a questionnaire but i i was like i wanted to take more notes and give more feedback but i felt like i had a few but um i like to think that i helped the film quite a bit in my mind <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i got really 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 sucked into it and again it was really freaky and it was like a simple concept but executed extremely well yeah, the, it's basically a guy who um, is scared of dying, and right. in order to overcome that fear, decides that the the thing that will, you know, um, squash his, his fear is proof, uh, definitive proof of um, an existence of life after death. And so he puts an ad in a paper and says, $30,000 for anybody who can give me definitive proof of life after death. Yeah. And it gets a lot of submissions and Be sort of goes what on. You wish for kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets a lot of submissions and you know has a, it's like a, a, a mother son kind of adventure. And they go out and they you know they select a few that are good and then you know one of them ends up being real and it's like yeah it's sort of a a monkey's paw you know it's not. Just, did you really want to know? Because we'll we'll show you. Yeah, we'll, we'll take you there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It gets really really frightening what he uncovers and um, the, the ghost stuff is anyway. I've already said too much. Now you know there's ghosts, but <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really, really well done. And the, the tonality, and yeah, like you said, it was kind of a mother daughter buddy kind of like the team. Uh, so that was Annette O'Toole and Clark Freeman. Yeah. And then uh, John Glover of uh, Gremlins 2 fame. Mm -hmm. And he was great in it. And yeah, uh, Clark Freeman was awesome. I got to meet him at the Harbinger premiere yeah. at the Alamo Draft House here in LA uh, at the end of last year. Super cool guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was great. And yeah, I had done the, the done the the creep show episode with Andy. I finally I bugged you. I was like, oh, I got to get Andy on. I got to get him. it's the Andy Plex. Got to get you know, got to get Andy Mitten on. <laughs> I'm such a fan now from seeing your films. So yeah, did you already have a deal with Shutter when that happened, or was that an after the fact thing? Um, for we go on. For we go on. Uh, no, we go on was sold to Shutter. Um, it, it's it's sort of like. It kind of floundered around for a little bit, trying mm -hmm. to find a home. Shopped it. Um, yeah, and there it was. There were some some problems with uh, some sales agents that just it wasn't it wasn't working out. We moved over to a, a new one, and um, she had a deal with uh, with Shutter, and so she kind of set it up there. And then when Andy and I um, went on to do uh, the Witch in the Window, we we used that same um, Caroline. Um, Coure Delige, Delgue, it's French. She's very French. Uh, lo lovely woman. <laughs> um, but uh, Film Secrets is her company. And so she had already had in place that deal and they were familiar with Andy's work. So it was uh, a lot easier for, for us to get The Witch in the Window um, released. It's sort of like, you know, one of those things. It's it's tough making movies, but after you've made one, it's a little bit easier. It's tough selling movies, but after you've sold one, it gets a little bit easier. So right. it's just, you know, this sort of like getting through the threshold kind of opens up the rest of the rooms, you know. And then once you have one and you've you showed it to people, they're like, Great. What do you what do you have coming up? What's what, the what's, what's next? the next thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's always of course I always ask everyone that question on the show and then I'm like, God, they hate this. But yeah, it's it's never ending. We're like sharks. We can't that's right. We can't just stop. But speaking of stopping, um, I really the Harbinger was the first thing that I'd seen that really embraced the pandemic. Like there was a period where well, they weren't making anything, but then there was a period of like making things, and we were back, kind of, sort of, but with masks on, depending on the week, what the rules were, if we had vax cards <laughs> or not. But there was a period where 
the pandemic really didn't seem to happen more or less inside the content of the films in the, in the fictional universe of the portrayal of, of things. And then now I think we're starting to embrace it and you're starting to, there's be like, Oh yeah, the pandemic and yeah. like characters will mention it. But those are the first thing that I'd seen that really attacked it head on and did it really, really well and embraced the horror of it, which it really was a scary time, especially before Vax. Mm-hmm. And I was more worried about my parents cause they're older. Of course. And I'm far away from them out here. So I could, you know, of course, we were potting up, and I remember conversations with friends like, "Oh, you went, and you went out, and oh, well, we better quarantine." And I'm like, "Oh man, really? Jeez, mom knows I, uh, I cheated and I was out, you know, with like people that I was potting with or whatever." And all those games, Harbinger, really, really, really tackles this theme of isolation mm-hmm. and weaves it into the plot. And I'm just hats off, and I think it was just done so well. And I watching the movie, I almost got a little nostalgic of the pandemic in a weird way which sounds terrible <laughs> i'm sad for all the death and pain and and all that but there was an element of like when things just stop mm-hmm. and i think that's why i like horror so much in a, in a weird way it's because of the chaos of it sure and the interruption of like i was the first guy to be like oh man i think we're gonna have off from school and i'd be listening to the radio <laughs> every day you know or the two hour delay uh three hour delay or closed or whatever like yeah start playing video games all day instead of going to school but yeah, I mean, I think there was this element that was handled so well in the movie of the isolation and and the pandemic itself. And you guys filmed during the pandemic, right? Yeah, was the tail end of it, or um, we shot it was um, January. I'm sorry, February of 21. So oh, yeah. at that point, so very early. Yeah, there. I mean, there were so like December 20. I think is when they were first releasing um, like the first vaccines, and right. they were like frontline. It was workers. a long line. Yeah, frontline workers are, are, are eligible. Right. And then, you know, I think in January they opened it up to like seniors and teachers. Um, and we had, um, one of our, one of our cast members, um, Jay Dunn, who's also in, um, We Go On. Oh, yeah, Jay and, Dunn. Yeah. And he worked with us on The Witch in the Window too as a, um, as a uh, producer. And, uh, he I saw him in a commercial not too long ago. Too. Yeah. Yeah. The car, car, car gurus. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great. great. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a great actor. Um, he is. Very nice guy. Um, but uh, he was a teacher, so he was eligible. And I remember calling SAG and asking them, you know, hey, if I have a guy who can get the vaccine, can we exempt him from um, our our testing uh, protocol? Because it's it's expensive to run these tests when you do production. And they said no, because there's no evidence. And to their credit, they were correct. There's no yeah. evidence that by being vaccinated, you won't contract and spread. <laughs> I know, remember at first we thought, I remember getting my very my first shot and I was literally so excited. And they, we, we had to drive down to Dodger Stadium and oh, nice. line up around the block and everything. And they which is also how we got our, t- our very first testing in 2020. Yeah. Uh, and even then I was like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm so adult. I'm getting tested. You know, and it was just like took half the day, but it was a process. <laughs> but yeah, I remember getting my vaccine. They're like, you're really excited. I'm like, I just can't wait to put this behind me. Yeah. And thinking that. That that was the end of it. That that was the end. Yeah. No, no, no. That was, you know, that's, that was the end of, of one of the phases and just the beginning of another phase that would then lead to a different phase and then would go on to a phase beyond that. So it's just, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's a continual process. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like shooting during the pandemic, whether as a producer or when we were doing COVID, it's, it's, I've felt um, I guess n- less so now, but definitely in the early days, like I felt safer being on set, knowing that I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who have just tested and, yeah. you know, we're working 
you know, 12 to 15 hours a day. Um, yeah. And it's like, okay, great. That's fine. And I know like there's no time to go do anything else. So this is it. Like this, <laughs> you know, just you, you, you get a, a certain, there's a certain comfort in that, you know? Um, whereas like if you were just existing and living and trying to, to have a life, like there's, there's, I think a much uh, higher chance of exposure, you know? So, yeah. But uh, but it was you know it was difficult. It's it's tough to shoot these indie films, regardless, and just right. You know, I mean, when you're you, already faced with a lot of issues, and you, yeah. you don't have all the money in the world to exactly. throw at the problem. So you know you definitely throw a lot of the money that would go otherwhere, other other places. Uh, you know you you spend it on on making sure everyone's going to survive. And you know we never had a, a positive case. We had one one false one false. Uh, oh. False positive before we started shooting. That was okay. the. I mean, this is the day before production starts. Um, Cast or crew? Uh, it was crew, um, but I had picked them up from the airport. Oh, so it was basically like we, we were required to do a four-day quarantine getting, getting to New York. So we flew people in from L.A., start the quarantine process. At the end of the quarantine process, you Put do a test. Or something? Yeah, it was a hotel. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, uh, it's not – it's the lockdown in this country was not like it was in other places. You know, like there's – there's no one checking. There's nobody like enforced by the military. Exactly. Yeah. Although when we would when we did get our tests, it was administered by military personnel. <laughs> so that was kind of oh, wow. that was kind of a trip. Um, but that was like the free and county full, testing, full like camo yep. and everything. Yep, that's oh, right. Wow. Yep, it was it was it was kind of wild. Um, but uh, so got a, got a test the day before production starts. That was the end of the quarantine period. Comes back positive, and I had picked them up from the airport, and I am potted with Jay, who's playing the Harbinger, and a couple of other characters, and Andy, the director, and it's just like, okay, well, if they have it, and then I got it, and then I gave it to them, like, we're just, we're, we're shut down, we're just, we're, we're, we're dead in the water, this and so, over before it started. you know, like, six hours of that afternoon were just, like, wasted, just, like, pacing around, and just, like, not sure what to do, how to do it, just, it was, it was pretty gnarly, it ended up being false positive, so, that was good, but, but yeah, that was, that was about as close as we got to having to having that worry right and it was a, a snowstorm or something right yeah there was also just like it was a really like rough winter we shot upstate uh, upstate new york in binghamton and they just they they had a lot of snow before we came in and then like it snowed a couple of times i mean if you watch the movie you see snow falling outside the apartment window like yeah but we can't afford to do that that's yeah, real that snow a, that wasn't a special effect no we did not have a <laughs> snow we did not have a snow team on uh <laughs> didn't hire snow business um there's no business like snow business <laughs> so um but yeah it's it was so there were i mean there were complications about that too like i had to dig out we we the script calls for a grassy meadow well there's no grass uh, after a big snowstorm so it's just like those those kinds of things you just embrace you know like okay great like this is this is what it is now and it becomes something that you didn't anticipate um but you know it's it's one of those things that's sort of like even though it wasn't planned and it certainly was not something that we would have because of the low budget, we can't afford to make that. Like we would never have asked for that in the script that Andy would have never written it down. Um, but then you have it and you're there and you're doing it. You're like, this works. This makes sense. This yeah. is, this is good. This adds to the sort of coldness, the, the isolation, the detachment, like all right. of it, like it really kind of helps that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I spent a fair amount of time digging out like trenches for the crew to walk around in, oh, um, in this snowy field. Um, so yeah. Use your 310 to human experience. That's right. I, I, I called on my previous experience uh, digging out snow and, and melting melting ice on train tracks to, to, yeah. to pull that off. And speaking of not being in the script, there was we were doing 310 to Yuma at the end of 06, and they had record snowfall in Santa Fe and Albuquerque, New Mexico. And yeah, it was like not a, not a winter script at all. 
and they somehow made it work as they're traveling through the movie and there's like some snowfall as they go on which might have been actually practical because it was snowing i, I, I remember about my guess is that it was practical, but I do remember like they sort of added a montage in the middle of the movie of just traveling where they're like going up hills. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it just kind of starts like And then you're and then you're like, oh snow. well, they were going up or an elevation. And, <laughs> yeah. and therefore now it's snowing. But it, I don't think anybody really was like what's going on when they saw the movie. It turned out really well, actually. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like you watch the original and it's like the whole premise is that it's a drought and they gotta move the they have to move the cattle. Like out of the out of the drive, oh, and, like, right. and they're like yeah. they're robbing they're robbing the train, yeah, right. And so it's sort of like all of a sudden you look around, and you're like, well, this this isn't a drought. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not a drought situation. We got to wait for the ice to melt. That's so it's, that's why it's oh. a drought because all this all the water's tied up in the frozen snow. I mean, do you remember them trucking in dirt and then yes. putting dirt on top of the ice? I do. And then that melting and turning into like a like a like a mud like it looked like pudding like yeah. Oh, it was awful. I do remember that. I forgot about that. Ugh. Yeah, and it was a it was a haul to get all that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was wild. Three ten. That was that was an experience. You know, like you said, you know, you've done it. And now you can be like, all right, well, I've been in this Yep. I remember uh Appaloosa coming through town and getting a call. Uh-huh. And they're like, Yeah, we want you to do Appaloosa and I was just like, No, I'm not gonna do another Western <laughs> no way. There's, there's a lot of that going around crew crew in New Mexico. Like I've I've done two westerns back to back. I just can't. Just I just can't much. do another one. It's just too much. Yeah. Ugh. And you're chasing the sun, and then oh yeah. I remember that one day. I was I think it was a Friday too, and I was like, they're gonna let us go home because the sun <laughs> went down. And then the lighting team brings out all the the five Ks and the, the twenty. You know. Oh man. The big lights, twenty Ks, and everything. And I think it was when they're inside the carriage after they hit it, and so they're like blasted all this light into the carriage. And we ended up going over like five hours or six hours or something. Ugh. I was being like, I just want to go home. <laughs> we were kind of standing around and not doing anything. I think that was the worst part is like, you're not doing anything. Right. You're just kind of waiting for the crew to be done. Yep. That that made it hard. But yeah, I mean, it, it also shows you what goes into making a movie. Right. You know? Absolutely. How much goes into it. And I get questions all the time about, you know, being in the business and seeing it. And they're like, yeah, here it's actually a really slow process. I'm like, yeah, it's so slow. Yep. You, you're like, oh, you worked on a movie? It must have been an action-packed experience. I mean, there are moments, but there's a lot of standing around. Oh, yeah. Waiting for other people to do their thing or just waiting for the conditions to be right or whatever, what have you. Um, did you – were you there when we did the uh, the second unit stuff for um, Comanche Moon – um, David Midthunder was doing a, a like a, a high fall. He was jumping off a cliff at one point. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. It was a second Mid-thunder, unit day, yeah. and it was like um, his daughter was in prey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't. I forget her name. Uh, last name is Midthunder. Amber? No, Amber. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's it. I think the mom's Angelique. That's it. Um, yeah, she's casting director. Uh, right. Never met Amber, but definitely worked with David a bunch. As, a, as he was a grip, I was an electrician, so we, you know. Yeah, he's um, a cool guy, actor, and also mm-hmm. grip. He famously did both well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is not, you know, it's kind of a Venn diagram there. Yeah, it really is. Um, but uh, I remember we were doing second unit. It was, you know, like an hour north of Santa Fe in the middle of nowhere, and he's supposed to jump off a cliff, and we was kind of waiting for the light to be right. And I think we only did one shot that whole day. 
and it was like a 10 hour day. Yeah, <laughs> All yeah. we did was that one shot. We're like, okay, yeah. that's it. Everybody go home. Okay, right. great. So yeah, there's a lot of, you know, hurry up and wait. That's like, let's get everything going and set up as, as quickly as possible. Go, 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 move, move, move. All right, great. You're set. Perfect. Now let's wait for five hours so that the sun comes down enough so that we hit these long shadows that we want. Okay. <laughs> what was all that rushing for? I know. Right? Man. So yeah, producing, I mean, if you had to explain what what producing is to somebody in a couple of sentences, yeah. what would you say? I mean, I, I, I say it's sort of, um, there's a part of it that is nuts and bolts, getting, like I said, getting everything to the place, uh, all the things that are needed, talking to the various crew members, like talking to the director, production designer, cinematographer, what do you need to achieve this? Talking to special effects people, like, what what do I have to have on site? You know, sometimes you need a hot shower because you're going to have somebody covered in blood and you need to do it multiple times. So you need towels, you need multiples of wardrobe. Right. You what need, do I need? Yeah, all this stuff. Exactly. So it's sort of like, you know, in that regard, it's kind of like you're building a town. And you're going to move in with, you know, whether it's 30 people or 80 people or 150 people. And you got to make sure that, that those people can function, you know, from day to day. Um, you know, whether it's it's housing, if you're traveling people across the country. Um, so that's one aspect of it. There's another aspect of it where it's, you know, you're you're going out and you're finding money. You're, you're getting people to invest in something. Um, sometimes that's what a producer does. Other times it's like, you know, hey, I know this author who's got this great book. It would make a really great movie. And I've chatted with him. And I, I have the rights to it. So now I'm a producer on this movie because oh, yeah. I have the rights to the story. Cool. So there's, there's, there's a lot that can be done. I mean, there's, you know, and now it's sort of expanded and there's people that do um, post-production post producing. Like, right. you know, and all you do is you handle vendors doing additional dialogue recording, ADR, looping, you know, uh, Foley. You're, you're coordinating with the vendors to get the composer's mix or the composer's raw tracks over to the sound mixer. You know, getting everything kind of lined up and then doing the actual delivery where you have all of the uh, the legal all the legal pieces of paper, you've got the, the copyright settled, you've got the, you know, the subtitles are in, you've got whatever it is, the script as edited, all this, all this very technical stuff that's, you know, not hard, but you still, somebody has to do it kind of thing. Um, So it's just, it's, it's, I kind of look at it like, it's more than a couple of sentences. I'm sorry, but like a C yeah. a COO, right? A chief um, operations officer. It's kind of what a, a producer, uh, a, a, that's kind of the job that I, that I do, you know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I've asked this question before on the show and my father, actually John Myrano, amazing guy. He's always like, what, there's all the different producers and what is, what does it mean? I'm like, I don't know. It's like, there's executive producer, there's a line producer, there's unit production manager. Uh, is there a way to, do you feel like th- that you can kind of more or less say a standardization of these jobs and what they do, or is it kind of shifting around? Um, executive producer, um, is, is possibly the most, um, amorphous, I think. Yeah. Like it's, that can be the thing where it's like, oh, you know, um, an author. Executive at the studio at the time when the movie's being made, maybe they had nothing to do with it, but they're, I mean, they're obviously overseeing the studio, so that's something. Yeah. But. Yeah. And there's actually, um, there is a, a whole thing where it is the executive in charge of production. And that is somebody the studio will hire to just make sure that the film is going that's according to the plan. Yeah. And yeah. they they don't really they're not a line producer, which sometimes that's the line producer's job. They're not a production manager. Sometimes that's the production manager's job. They work for the studio. Studio yeah. is paying them to be there just to be an overseer. You know, make sure that they're sticking to the sticking to the budget, sticking to the schedule. 
Right. What's a line producer? Line producer um, will sort of create the budget um, and the schedule at the very beginning. So you have like a skeleton that you're working off of. Yes. And later that you schedule. You do this as well. You've done it on the uh, Yeah. I, I, do, I do line producing as well. Um, the last time I line produced was for Christmas Bloody Christmas. Christmas Bloody Christmas, which is also on Shudder. It's on Shudder, yeah. It's so great. And it's I'm a fun a movie. I'm a fan of that one. Yeah. yeah. That was, it's the bloodiest romp. There's an animatronic Santa Claus that's run haywire, kind of like Terminator-y, where it's like this robot. Yeah. Which would have run the mall a lot of money, I mean, to make, oh, this, yeah. make this thing. But, of course, it goes haywire and starts just going on a rampage and... Anyway, not to get off topic too much, but that's that's a that is a that's a fun movie. Shot on sixteen, all really practical fun. effects. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a. What was the director? Joe Joe Begus. Joe Begus. Yeah, I got to meet him. Yeah, yeah, cool guy. He's a cool guy. Big big cinephile as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his his producer and editor. So he's a writer director, and um, he also operates the camera. And that uh, was all right. Yeah. Oh, cool. And then um, that's kind of rare, really. When yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's or George Romero used to do that for a while. Mm-hmm. Do both. I think Chris Nolan does that sometimes too. Oh, okay. Um, at least I, the the pictures that I always see of him, like inevitably, like there's a giant camera in front of him and he's looking through the eyepiece. Yeah, I don't know if he just chooses those photos or if he's actually yeah, like he's operating a, this camera. Oh, <laughs> yeah, big fan. Uh, his producing partner uh, Josh Ethier is a is a producer and an editor, so they sort of have between the two of them, they kind of do all the jobs. Um, but uh, I think it's great to be able to like have the awareness. I mean, you and I have done lighting. That's, we didn't want to do it forever, but right. it's great that you can take it with you. And you know, the yeah. more hats you can wear, absolutely, the more ammo that you can have in your, your belt. Well, as, as a line producer, especially like it sort of gives you an intimate knowledge of different parts well, of the crew and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, great. I understand. We have these elements on this shit day. Yeah. Shoot. This, this scene takes place at night. Okay, great. I need more money for lighting for every time we're shooting at night because there's no natural light that you can rely on. Right. You know, so that's kind of what a line producer does is say, is put together a rough plan that says, okay, great. Like, here's the, here's the budget that we need to be targeting. You know, is it, is it, is it 500,000? Is it, you know, 5 million, whatever, you know, here's, here's what we can do with that money. Here's how many days we can shoot. Here's the rough order in which we will be shooting. These are the number of days we need the various cast members. You know, these are days where we need additional, additional crew members. We need additional lighting guys. We need additional wardrobe people. Cause we have a bunch of background people like this. You know, these are, we have, you know, 500 man days worth of, of, um, of 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 background actors like of of yeah. atmosphere you know and they taught you guys this at AFI all the is there like a spreadsheet Excel breakdown of this. There's yeah, there's a proprietary program called uh, Movie Magic, and they do okay. scheduling and budgeting, and it's owned by Entertainment Partners, which is a payroll service. Oh yeah, you've um, mm-hmm. gotten some paychecks. Yeah, well, yeah, years. me, me too. Or waiting on them. To- sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely waiting on them. Um, but uh, so that's sort of what a line producer does, and then um, unit production manager is actually uh, a DGA covered position. Um, oh, right? Yeah, so they're the head of the uh, they're the head of the Directors Guild of America, for those right? Layman, the layman's terms. And, and the Directors Guild like it covers directors for sure, but it also covers assistant directors, and those are the people that sort of 80s. like run the day to day of the set. Um, so that's, you know, PAs at the bottom and then, you know, second ADs, second, second ADs, um, um, and then additional seconds and, and you know, first ADs and then UPMs are, are the boss of the, and I like to think that they sort of, they kind of put into 
they implement the plan of the line producer. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. A line producer isn't necessarily ever even on set. Not physically on set, yeah. They don't they're they don't need to be. They're sequestered away in some bunker or on some right. laptop. Because you could be a line producer work on multiple projects at a at a time. And then like if you have a production manager that you trust to implement the plan, then you yeah. you don't you don't need it. Um so that's you know, that's what those two jobs would be. And then just a regular producer, it, it, that's that's sort of can be anything and everything under the sun. That's of the stuff that we've already discussed, you know. Um, and, and now they're like they used to be pretty precious about the producer credit. It seems like they're a little less so now. When I see, you know, you know, I, I watched Barbie the other day, and um, you know, Margot Robbie has a as a producing credit. Not that she doesn't deserve it, but I just, I don't know what it was exactly that she did. Um, Apparently, she actually producing. came to Greta Gerwig and. Uh... I listened to the Smartless podcast. Oh, right. talking about yeah. that. Greta was on the, one of the more recent ones, and uh, they had no idea that it was going to be this monster hit. And uh, sure, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. And there's there's always like, yeah, exactly. What did you do? And there's yeah. so many hats. And and I don't want to take anything away from anybody. Like I'm I'm sure like like I said, like they don't they don't just give those credits away. Like there's yeah. something is is earned there. Right, you're not just uh, hanging out at crafty. Uh, well, yeah, what, what exactly that thing is? I, it's it's that's difficult for me to pin down on right, a case by right. case basis. Yeah, I think Margot actually um, was the like wanted to do the movie and was like the catalyst. She was the catalyst, and that's you know that's that's very much in the in the world of of a producer. Like you know, like um, this Paul Tremblay book. Like if I if oh, yes, I he lent me this book here. If if I were to contact him and then get the rights to that, like then I could attach myself as a producer, um, wherever that movie goes, you yeah. know, absolutely. So that would kind be like the, sh- the shepherd of this material, or of course, yeah, yeah. Like, look, like you, you want this this script, great. Um, I have to be one of my, you know, one of my, my. I'm gonna stick my flag here and say like, no, like I'm I'm a producer. Yeah. If I'm not a producer, you can't have it. Right. Next, next, like you know. Yeah. Are you constantly searching for, like you said, you read a novel that, you know, or you're like, you're just constantly sifting through the sand and looking for stuff uh, as a, as a producer, or, uh, I know you're, you know, you're going to be working with Andy again. sounds like we're have, we have a big strike happening right now. So mm-hmm. and I'm just not like a lot. My next question would be like, what's next for Rich King? Right. Probably. I know you actually have a show with your band late for life, which is mm-hmm. speaking of back and you guys put a new album out a couple of years ago. And- yep. You guys are playing San Diego this week. I'm hoping to go, actually. Just yeah. Um, we're, we're open up for Mad Caddies uh, this Mad coming Caddies, week. So cool. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a fun band. And then... Um, That's exciting mm, to be with a band that you like are a fan of and know yeah. of. So cool. Oh, and then next month, uh, or maybe it's October, we're opening for Big D and the Kids Table, which is the band, oddly, we used to... We used to open for them in when in South Florida, so oh, cool. you know, twenty years. I, I I don't. I'm not anticipating any recognition, but it's like it'll still be fun to we be like. Oh, made it to the kids' table. We played with you guys uh, across the country twenty years ago. That's awesome. Wow, that's really cool. So yeah, stick with it. Do you find that your movie producing skills have come into play with you know being in a band and producing a band and producing music? I mean, honestly, like getting into a recording studio, it's it's sort of the same mentality. You're working right. with some different, some like the tools are different, but like the the um, the end product is going to be a a work of art that needs to be um, you know uh, distributable to the masses. So you're on you're on a time budget, you're on a money budget, and you've got people coming in. You got to take care of them. You know, it's it's more or less the same. Um, like like I said, different different tool bag, but um, 
you know, we still we did producing. a yeah, it's still producing. Like it's yeah. you're still managing, still managing finite resources. You know, <laughs> in, in a in a world How trying can you to make the biggest splash <laughs> for the littlest amount of money. Right, right. With a limitless creativity in a in a in a finite world, like that's sort of like how do you how do you again how do you fit that, that round peg into that square hole? You know. Yeah. What is your slogan on your email? Uh, solving your problems in elapsed time. In elapsed time, <laughs> like Richard King, solving your problems in elapsed time. I remember yeah. asking you, be like, wait a minute, does that mean? That... Wait, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it actually doesn't mean anything. Like yeah. time, time elapses as it elapses. As it elapses, yeah. <laughs> That's really, really, I love that. It's stuck with me. Um, so funny. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 pretty similar. Like with regards to like actually like live playing live, not so much. There's not a whole lot of applicable things. I just go up on stage and I'd be as yeah. crazy as I can, leave it well, all on the stage, right? Good. And though and those again, you're like you're you're working yeah, within. A, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. You gotta gotta get the elements together. What what does it take? You know, what do you? Yeah. How many different wardrobe options do you need? Like what? How many different locations do you have access to? Or yeah. you know, sets within a single location, whatever it might be. So. Or you hire. We have one that's just an animated video. Just hired somebody out to, to do it. So. I watch that one all the time. I look in your eye. Yeah, look in your eye. Yeah, L I Y E. L Y E. Oh yeah, I guess L I yeah. L L I Y E. Yeah, so it's like lie. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Do you get a rush from performing? I do. I really enjoy it. I think you've been with it a long time now. Yeah, I mean, when you start playing music. She's um, middle school. Oh wow! Okay. I mean, I guess when I started playing, like you know, like rock music, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I started playing piano as a as a as a wee thing. Um, gave that up about eight years old or something like that, um, and then started playing saxophone and band in middle school, um, and then got, got into bass guitar, was in like some alternative rock groups, and then discovered ska music when I was about eighth grade, and then I was like, that was sort of it, off to the races. Yeah, and you're and still, I, yeah. you guys are ska. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's still a scene. You, you name names like Mad Caddies and stuff. Sure. It's like even I know this. Right. I mean, these are these are you know, it's it's weird. It's sort of like um, the wheel has come around. You know, like it had its big uh, its big big to do was in the mid uh, to late nineties, and like it's come around again. It's like people are starting to. I don't know if it's just folks feeling nostalgic or or what it is, but a lot of the groups that used to play in the early aughts are now playing again. So yeah, and, and we're just another one of those just another one of those bands in the list. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so cool. And uh, yeah, what is it about ska music that calls to you? Uh, I don't, it's I don't hard know. To be tangible about such such thing. Yeah, um, I have so many memories of driving around in your your sob, which is finally bit the dust. I, re, I, re, I yes, I, I, I uh, what did I say? I surrendered it. I surrendered it to the state. <laughs> yeah, you actually ended up getting. Uh, yeah, fifteen hundred bucks. There was a um, a program where they're trying to you know get. Um, Polluting vehicles off the highways to the state of California. So, you know, I I took it to a recycler and they wrote me a check and I put it in the bank. It was great. Because the car is worth like 500 bucks. I mean, it's got 235,000 miles on it. Like it, was, <laughs> it wasn't going to pass emissions. Like just, there, was no, there was no future for it. I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. How many times around the world is that? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't a know. A couple. I would, I would hope at least one. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty big. There's pretty big Earth out there. Twenty-four. The, the Earth is at least twenty-four <laughs> miles around. Okay. That's right. I am twenty-four us. years old. <laughs> There's um. twenty-four stars in the sky. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, what was listening to ska in your car and, and punk and yeah. I th- I think 
you know, I was a uh, I was a bass player, and uh, I think that was sort of one of the things was they always had um, interesting bass lines, which wasn't really necessarily a thing that you're going to find in alternative rock, you know, um, Bush or um, even though like there was there was some interesting stuff there, but there's a lot of like root note stuff just you know in time with the music, not a whole lot of driving energetic. Um, you know, I was always more interested in, in that kind of thing from a bass uh, guitar perspective. Um, and then also, you know, I played saxophone and there was there were horns. And I just felt like it was it was just it was there was there were more possibilities. Love a good horn. I played trumpet. Yeah. For a while. You know, there's this like it, it, it adds something that um, you otherwise wouldn't have without without the, the horn parts. And I mean, late for life, like, you know, we fall under the rubric of ska, but it, it, we have a song called Ear Fatigue that's pretty heavy and like it's not really like it doesn't feel like a ska song we have like a ska a ska verse but the rest of it's like pretty guitar driven you know hard rock yeah yeah i mean like it's called ear fatigue because it's supposed to be like fatiguing on your ears to listen to um so you know we we try to we try to to incorporate what it is that we like what we like about ska music and you know make it a little bit heavier make it a little bit edgier We, we try to kind of stay ahead of the curve on that stuff I feel like yeah. we've succeeded more or less. No, absolutely. I love that you guys are still at it. And yeah, it sounds great. I, I still haven't seen you live, but I will soon. It's going to happen. That's right. You got, any, got any LA shows coming up? Not yet. Yeah, San Diego. I know those guys live down there. Yeah, everybody. I'm the only one that doesn't live in San Diego. So yeah. we're, we're gotcha. I've, I've been, you know, purposefully not encouraging folks to come to San Diego so that I can get like absolutely everybody to come out when we play in Orange County or Long Beach or like somewhere yeah. much closer. Get everyone out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So that's the idea. Well, what is uh, next for you and Andy? Do you guys are you any whispers in the? I know we got a strike going on, but uh, yeah, I, I mean another another horror. Uh, and Andy was very prolific during the the pandemic, and he wrote a number of scripts. Says, yeah, it's he makes crazy. me feel lazy. Yeah, he's like, and then he does it at night. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I just usually by then I'm just like I'm done for the day. And I, that's his, I, 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 you know, I, he's worked that way for years. It's sort of just like understood, you know, yeah. um, that that's, you know, that's the, that's, I was, just, I was just with him and, and, and his wife and his kids. And like, you know, she's up in the oh, morning right. getting the kids, you know, out, out the door. Um, and he's been in bed for a few more hours and then, you know, he's he'll, the closer. Yeah. He'll, st- but he'll, he'll be up until you know, three or four in the morning. just like work on stuff. Uh, and then, and that's his, that's his schedule. So yeah, you know, it seems awesome. to be working. So. Yeah, I remember when he did the episode, he said that he has like 20, 30 some scripts and features. Yeah, he's got a lot. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's there are some that are actually like fully fleshed out, actually written scripts. There are others that are sort of like ideas or, you know, maybe like researched to a point or like maybe they're beat it out. You know, he knows yeah. what's roughly going to happen. In the, um, it, and, and we had one that we were we, we thought we, we felt really good about and we were working with XYZ and they felt really good about it. And we were just trying to get the rest of the funding in place for it. And then um, – the the strike hit and i i have a i have a suspicion that it was sort of like nobody was really pushing too hard because everybody knew that the strike was coming and right. if you're if you're if you're in the middle of doing something then you, you know you're on the brink of spending money and then all of a sudden the strike hits that's that could be detrimental so, yeah, so everyone's kind of waiting it up yeah and i yeah i don't have any there's no, I have no sour grapes about it it's just like that's the way it goes sometimes yeah um but i'm totally on the side of the 
you know, I'm not technically on strike, but I'm absolutely in solidarity with all the writers and all the all the actors. Like, you know, I would much rather deal with people than robots. So, yes, I know. We've all seen Terminator enough times. And yeah, it's horrifying. That's right. And Megan. Megan, that was great. I love that one. Um, but yeah, it's, don't want them running a running the movie business. That's for sure. Yeah, it's you know, and and um, Adam Conover actually is he's um, he's had a couple of good little clips uh, about it, just sort of like explaining that um, what the studios are asking of the writers and the actors is sort of like an existential crisis for the careers. It really is. Um, and you know, the um, the studios, yeah, they, they, I, I think. It'll be interesting to see what happens because I think that the different members of the AMPTP, the the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, actually aren't singular. Like Sony doesn't have a streaming service, to my knowledge, right? right? But Netflix does, right? That's their bread and butter. That's their main model. So when Netflix says, we're not going to bend on this whole streaming residuals thing, we're not doing it. Well, Sony doesn't care about streaming residuals, so they would they would cave on that, you know. So I feel like there's a chance that you see some cleaving among the AMPTP, and that would then weaken the studio's position and give more power to the writers and the actors. Um, you know, I I, I, don't, I don't know, but you know, solidarity with the writers, solidarity with the with the actors, like that's you know, yeah, yeah. It was just a Paramount the other day. Uh, I'm I'm in SAG and. Yeah, and I think um talked about this with a few friends and I don't know if you agree, but I think at some point the 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 turbine mill has to turn back on and once we've come to an agreement, hopefully we do. Uh and then all of a sudden everyone's gonna need content like now. Yep. Like yesterday. Yep. And it's gonna be this like I think that it could be good for uh people like us that are they're budding and uh you know, not necessarily the first person gets a phone call and you know, big movies made or big projects on the, on the table. Right. Uh, and, uh, that hopefully, so I want to be in a position where we're ready, but yeah, just keep building up content. And I think now's a good time to really look at what you want the first thing to be when the turbine does turn back on. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Anyway, good, good chance to be writing and looking at content for you be reading and absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway. Yeah. And I'm, you were saying like, um, I have, you know, I've got scripts that need reading, you know, I've got a laser disc collection of like the reason that the famous laser disc collection <laughs> is so cool. Which you, you brought over your player before and like, yeah, and they're the size of vinyls, these things. Yeah, they're huge. Um, but I mean, one of the reasons I got into that was like to try to find these sort of like antiquated hidden gems that could be remade into something, you know, like I'm just uh, like, I'm not inherently against the idea of remakes but i'm tired of like properties being remade like 10 years on you know it's like there's you just had a remake exactly you know we just you just did this you don't yeah. need to do this again um yeah. so you know i was kind of like trying to look at some older older movies that are maybe a bit more obscure um I found one that's actually pretty good uh called seconds with uh rock hudson oh yeah frankenheimer oh uh, it was good yeah i love it was that very one. good it's really freaky like that would be you know that would be like a decent candidate to to be remade yeah that's a good title to be remade mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the second second yeah absolutely <laughs> second seconds two seconds again yeah. seconds later seconds <laughs> could be anything the, the seconds helping <laughs> seconds helping yes <laughs>
No, I love your I love your obsession with obscure stuff, and uh, I think you just kind of have that fascination in you. But uh... that, that's another reason why I think I was into I got into ska music. This is like nobody I knew was yeah. into ska music. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is different, right? Like I had a, a pair of um, I don't know if you remember um, oh the uh, basketball player for Chicago Bulls, um, crazy hair, Dennis uh, Rodman. Dennis Rodman had a had a shoe had a shoe. And it was called the uh, worms, and they had a zipper on the side, and like I had, I had worms. I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly big fan of Dennis Rodman, but it's just like nobody else had those shoes, yeah, and like, I knew you know, see, everyone's got Jordans, exactly. And I knew nobody would ever buy those shoes because who's going to buy a shoe with a zipper on it? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like that was kind of. Do you still have it? No, no. Oh, man, this, I wonder if it's worth anything now. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, but yeah. these probably came out in what, like maybe ninety six, ninety seven, something like that. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there you go. Rodman. What a character. The Rodman Worms. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rich. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today. That's a great place to end on Dennis Rodman. Yeah, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's, that's the, period, the sentence there. Sure, we still wait on documentary on him. So if you want to Hey, oh, there you go. I bet that would be interesting because I, I, I know that there's like some, um, I don't remember, but I feel like there was some kind of a mental health issue with him. Um, not that, not that I want to exploit that, but it's like, he was like a pretty straight laced, you know, guy when he played for the Pistons and I'm not a basketball guy at all. I don't know. I don't, I don't know any of this, but like when he moved to uh, Chicago, yeah, I think like something happened. He like sort of not like, it wasn't like a psychotic break or anything, but he's just like, I'm depressed. And like, this is going to make me not depressed to like dye my hair, crazy colors. And like, get tattoos. yeah, get tattoos and get my face all pierced up. And like, okay, cool. Like if that, yeah. that makes you feel better, man, then, then do it. I don't know. Why. Well, I don't it wasn't care. necessarily in the piercings, you know, the year before or whatever. The, exactly. Yeah. Something. It was, yeah, there was, there was, there was a, there was a hard left turn in there somewhere. There hard <laughs> all right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Sounds great. Develop that project. Was there anything uh, you wanted to say before we close up here? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, just uh, yeah, check out uh, check out Late for Life. Check out uh, the Harbinger. Absolutely. Um, keep your ears peeled for future stuff to come with uh, Andy, myself, and anybody else. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for you guys to make more. So we, good. We will. We will be making more for yeah. sure. I'll be. I'll be following <laughs> up daily. That's right. That's <laughs> I'll be right. Calling you every hour. <laughs> all right rich love you buddy thanks for coming in and uh you're the man thanks Thank for you. having me it's been too long i appreciate it oh absolutely more to come rich king everybody <laughs>